0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department podcast. I am your host, Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, I talk to artist rep, personal manager, producer, and founder of David Goldman Agency, David Goldman. Among other topics, David explains why he'd rather starve than give up an artist's rights. He shares actual fees magazines and publishers are offering. And he explains how the illustration industry has changed over the past 40 years. Lastly, he tells us why today is a good day to create the world's next great illustration. I hope you enjoy our conversation.
1: If you're an art director or a designer or an editor head of a design firm ad agency listening to this, you miss out on learning so much about an artist, working with an artist, what a rep can deliver for you, how you can work out pricing to guarantee that you're going to be able to get the talent for your project and your needs. When you get to have a conversation on a telephone with somebody, there's a huge exchange of information that I've helped ad agencies and design firms to completely rethink the way they think about illustration and why they should spend an extra 10 grand in a campaign because illustration, certain kinds, has been proven to generate being noted more and read more than either copy alone or photography and copy. Yep. Okay, you could take it from wherever you are, but that's right. a critical point. It's mm-hmm. not just from my perspective the difference, but how this world today ends up shortchanging them because of the amount of information they're able to cull and to really see what's possible with someone or not.
0: Do you attribute that to to the internet now that everyone is online, everything is online, we're now maybe uh, some younger art buyers um, who grew up uh, with email as being a a perfectly natural part of their day, not seeing a phone call or a meeting as being as valuable as just, you know, well, you know, don't, you don't have to visit me. You don't have to call me. Just email me.
1: Right. And those people turn me off instantly and they will not get the benefit of my 40 years of experience and the 15 world class caliber artists that I represent. So if they want to treat me in the same homogenized way that they treat anybody anywhere in the world, they will get nothing back. Mm -hmm. If they treat me, especially as I will think about them and learn about what they do and their awards and their prowess, as an art director and designer or a publication, if there's a reason we'd want to lower our rate because they're such great designers or the magazine is seen by the market, the audience we want to be seen by. Or if they come on to me telling me how much they always love my artists, but they can only offer them this amount of money to the project, the assignment. I take all of that tone of voice all that emotion all that realness of someone being human having a human business experience with me and getting to know someone as giant pluses they win me over right so do i always need their work financially sometimes depends on the art depends on the month would i ever just take on work to screw the entire industry and and low ball on pricing to do work? Never. That I will never do. Yeah. I, I would rather starve than give away excessive rights on, on artwork. And I will find the gray matter in between to figure out the best way to protect my talent's rights all the time, but yet make the client think they're getting exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. Getting to know people is the key most important thing any rapper artist photographer
0: anyone in
1: our field should be attempting to do with people
0: you've been an agent now for for you know let's just round it to forty years just for easy math here art back then versus art now when you started really in earnest looking for illustrators or maybe you never were and they were just looking for you what in their art, were you especially looking for versus what is it that you're looking for now in their work? Has it changed at all?
1: Okay, there, there are three different points there I have to address. And the first one, if anyone's listening to this interview, that you're going to get from this interview is that everything that's befallen me in my life in this career has happened accidentally. But it's happened accidentally, for one simple reason: that people like me. <laughs> so Paul Margolis liked my personality. I could tell a joke. I, music. I'm cool. I'm hip. I looked the way. I dressed the way. I think you could be an artist rep. Okay, let's try that. And then as I'm running around with the portfolios, I'm befriending these art directors, and this guy out of nowhere drops this book on me, and say, "Hey, why don't you take this around? See, see what can happen here." Anyway, so I, I didn't really get into the rest of the Bendel tale, but we got up to years where we were billing between a quarter and $400,000. Mm. And that all started with Perry in 85. That's why I said that my my life changed when I got those ads. The difference between Art and Now, obviously, is everyone wants everything delivered digitally in a certain kind of file. They want it layered this way. Can I do this? Can I change the background? Can I move this if I want? Blah, blah, blah. So we're all pretty familiar with today's digitized world back then the art work was like oh my god oh you got to keep that sheet of paper you got to cover that you can't damage the artwork never touch the artwork with your fingers you know it's you'll smudge it you'll get your acid on it you'll get your and you got to pack that out you can overnight ship that jaywald tops of chicago it's got to have six boards on each side of it make sure it's not going to be damaged they're going to give you that FedEx number. It's got to go overnight. It's got to be there in the morning. Yeah. You've got to get to the FedEx office by the time it closes. It was a very, very different world. So you're dealing with, sometimes you had to wait for, you know, what do they call Al Alkyds, quick-drying oils and, and um, you know, acrylics and, and other mediums people were using. Well, in Bendel's case, he was working watercolor. And I dealt with people that were using chalk for quite some time on paper right we, we even ended up getting skin diseases from using chalk where the skin started to peel off and they had to stop But luckily that was a time when computers were starting to happen so the original artwork was so valuable and it it had a value to it as well so that when I landed the absolute campaign uh, for Back then, Maze Master, our trademark, David Anson Russo, my famous interactive artist, and my partner in Hollywood developing TV shows now, last uh, since 1998, he had Absolute Amazement, which was a double gatefold. They had, it was an eight-page eight buy back in the front, and it ran one time in the Atlantic Monthly Magazine, uh, Back in March, I want to say, of 1992. So we had a choice of running a 40 magazine single page for two years or having the second most expensive ad they ever did besides Andy Warhol's ad for Absolute. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we chose that. And the guy at Caroline Importers, part of the deal is any artist that comes into the campaign must forfeit their artwork to be in his private collection. And we did that for the fame of what the Absolute Campaign could bring mm-hmm. to an artist in their famous artist series. Right. And we got paid very well. Uh, do, don't regret it at all. It's totally fine. Um, but those are the differences. I mean, w- with digital, everything is quicker to change, obviously, when alterations are needed. Uh, in the old days, they'd have to ship back the art wait a day or two if you ought to get there, have the artists work on it for a day or two, let it dry, ship it back. Mm-hmm. Now we make changes in a matter of hours. You know, we, we don't like her hat being purple. Can you make it brown? Okay, fine. You know, half hour later, the artwork's back and the hat's brown. It's not purple anymore.
0: Right. Yeah. I've had, uh, over my 20 years as, as, uh... Being an art director, I can tell you there were so many times where um, a traditional piece would come in for a children's book and uh, it was 99.9% approved except for a face on a random page of a random character. And it was traditional and they would send, they would do the piece, they would do just the face on a small piece of paper and then mail that to us. (laughs) And then we would scan it in and yeah and, and photoshop it all together so no one no one was in the wiser right? sure no
1: so so those are you know th- those are two critical points about you know i said to you I able to use profanity at all and if i ever give a lecture or a talk or i'm consulting with someone i tell them that a lot of my successes early on in the 80s and 90s was just a matter of dumb fuck luck I just happened to be in this place for whatever reason. And these things just divinely dropped into my life and my lap. Mm-hmm. And when the success with Bendel started with Perrier in 85, he, he became so in demand that I went out and I tried to find four other artists with styles that were just like his. And he was fine with it. We were turning down more work than we were taking on. Right. Literally,
0: interestingly, I, I've talked to some agents who um, go the other way with that. And and if you visit other agencies, um, some of them will just explicitly say, we're not looking for artists who do work like the artists we represent.
1: Well, well, now I'm basically that way. Yeah. But back then I, I was too, I was just responding, reacting to what was happening around me. Right. So fish were jumping in the boat. I needed more boats to put those fish in.
0: Well said. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go back to, you mentioned money earlier and not knowing one's value is a very, very hot topic. There's a lot of chatter surrounding, um, especially on social media about pricing. How much should I get for a picture book, for an editorial, etc.? And some folks are helpful. They post stuff out online saying, Hey guys, I just did a job and this is how much they paid me. And other folks are a little bit more evasive with that sort of thing and just saying like, well, it's, it's, you know, something, but they won't say the exact number. There are certain references that illustrators can use to, to sort of, you know, divine w- what their value is with their work. But by and large, it's still a mystery, particularly with, you know, a lot of illustrators that I talk to through my school, through the illustration department. We talk about this a lot. I mean, it's like, how much do I, how much do I charge? Someone just asked me to do a picture book. How much should I charge? Someone just asked me to do a greeting card. How much should I charge? Someone just asked me to do a GIF for a web presence of some kind. How much should I charge? Right. And it's just not, it's just not easily accessible, this information. Right. So that's that's what, why, that's, yeah. the
1: pa- that's the power of having an artist representative. You're going to sit there in your little studio in your little home you're going to get maybe 30 requests a year, maybe, to put in a bid. Some people are lucky if they get 15 or 20 requests. <clears throat> but reps are putting in hundreds of bids every year. Well, if they're well-established anyways, they are. Or if they're representing top talent, they are. And it is the most difficult aspect of our industry, the saddest part being that when I started in this industry, to get on the subway, I think it was uh, a quarter for a ride. It's Three dollars now. Yeah. So that that inflation is pretty substantial. You know, it's about twelve hundred percent inflation. And a postage stamp when I started, I think it was uh, either nine or ten or eleven cents, and that's fifty-five now. So that's gone up five hundred percent. But the sad thing is that because the world is flat now, and Thomas Friedman had it right in his book in the 90s, you can go get illustration done through Fiverr anywhere now in the world for next to nothing. You could get it done for about half the rate. A lot of book publishers do this in England. British artists work for quite a bit less than people here in in the United States. I've noticed that. And in the United States, rates here have not increased in 95% of the 70 different breakdowns of of print media. And now, of course, electronic media is broken down in many different kinds of ways. But usually in contracts, it's just set out as electronic media and any other media heretofore known or, or not known, you know, in the future. So if you look at the verbiage of how people are trying to buy stuff, and that's fine because everything changes. It goes from vinyl, it goes to 8-track, goes to cassette, goes to CDs, and they all eventually become the Canastoga wagon and the flavor of the day. And the flavor of the day now, of course, is digital files of all kind or GIFs, anything with motion graphics that people are getting into, Mm-hmm. that's that's very valuable and some places like New York Times Wall Street Journal will do gifts they'll pay an artist an extra hundred to 250 dollars for that and for the artist instead of them making 400 a spot making 500 or 600 sure why not doesn't take long to do a gift right right so if you look at the amount of time it takes someone to do something even Conjuring up sketches, you know, most artists that I know come up with sketches fairly quickly. You know, if they've got brilliant minds like many of the people I represent and other reps represent or people just listening who are artists, they'll come up with stuff straight out very quickly. And hopefully you can avoid second round sketches and or the misery of all misery third round. And when do I start charging for extra or not? in the book world you could have one company that will pay you know, four, thousand to eight thousand dollars as a standard amount that they're going to pay for 32 page picture book to someone. and other companies are standard in the you know 10 to 16 for first kind of books sometimes as low as eight and going up to you know 20 and above once you start becoming established. Which is uh, pretty painless for most book companies. They they do a P&L, you know, profit and loss. uh, Do a whole line item on what they need and what they can afford, and it's a certain formula of a percentage of the sales price against the initial print run, and then they come up with the amount that they can pay the writer and or the the illustrator. I could tell you, I could talk about this topic for hours upon hours upon hours. I mean, famous, very famous super famous pop artist took over a cover for me for a project because he offered to do this cover which i had gotten twenty five hundred dollars for for a magazine for my artist for free and i just got a call out of nowhere like where's your brief how come we're not starting well so-and-so called and they offered free cover because he's going to be in our town the month the magazine comes out and he wants to be seen all over magazine covers oh my god so so you know it was an offer we couldn't refuse so i i mean when i write the book someday i have stories that will make the hair stand up on on your arm like anger and i just can't believe that this is what goes on behind the scenes at different places. It, it, it's gotten a bit out of control. I mean, as far back as a month ago where a, ma- a major magazine called me up and they offered $400 for a quarter-page spot, but the terms for payment were 90 to 120 days. Now, just for anyone listening out there, that's a giant flashing light. Think of a skull and crossbones, poison. Just, that, that's a, a publisher who's using little guys as his creditors to stay alive and pay his staff or whatever else he has to pay. But if he goes Chapter 11, you're going to be out all your money. So if anyone ever approaches you about terms that are beyond 60 days, 45, 60 days, just immediately get off that call, get off that email, whatever it is, And politely say, I'm sorry, I just can't take it on. Thank you very much for thinking of me. I look forward to hearing from you again someday. Mm -hmm. And if they come back the same terms, you can tell them the same answer. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, I'll I'll tell you two. um, I'm sure they won't be as riveting as your stories. And by the way, I can't wait wait to read your book. Uh, So hurry up and write it. Um, (laughs) Thank you. you. I'll tell you two uh, less less exciting stories. One is... um, I know of one major publisher who has one person working on a hundred plus contracts a year. One person, right which means that that person and that person's responsibility is to negotiate terms and execute contracts and right. time the payments, execute on payments. One person. and this is sure. a major publisher. Sure. So it takes forever. To not only get your contracts locked down, signed, paid, but it's frustrating for a lot of reasons. It's frustrating for the f- folks working in that in, in that house, working sure. with an illustrator, having to apologize every three weeks. I'm sorry, you're not getting paid. I'm sorry, you're not getting paid. Oh, by the way, the art was due yesterday. Right. And well, but, another yeah. frustration for illustrators is you sign, especially in the editorial worlds. Um, I hear this a lot. You have these 30 day, 45 day, 60 day, you know, this is what you, this is the term. You pay me within this, this amount of time. You can say all you want in the biggest font and the most, and the brightest color on your invoice, please pay me within 30 days. Uh, there's nothing like holding them to that account. They can pay you whenever the hell they want to pay you.
1: Okay. Well, I could. Do you want me to address that point? Yeah, or refute it, please. Okay. So, so some places you work for, Time Magazine pays in 25 days. That's it. Once you're in their system, that's how they pay. There are other companies as well that have either Cooper systems or other kind of auto-pay systems. that they will tell you exactly when you're going to get paid when you're sending your invoice. Oh, thank goodness. So... That part of the transitioning you know, world is going in the right direction. But again, that leads me back to the initial point of this conversation is that when you have a chance to get into a conversation with someone that calls you up instead of just sends you a brief, we need this by this time. This is the amount. Can he do it? Let me know. Well, if it's someone I work with for the first time, I want to speak to them. I want to learn about those payment terms and what we can realistically expect. And there are many companies that do take advantage of artists. Um, there are some companies that will promise you payments, not make payments because they're they're in deep doo doo, and they're either about to go Chapter 11 or they're using uh, tons of artists. That happened fairly recently to many many artists with one particular magazine that used illustration better than almost any magazine I've ever seen, um, which I'm not going to put out the name, but these are the kind of places you really have to stay away from and know how to avoid and see the yellow warning signs, the poison signs Mm -hmm. of what's Mm -hmm. toxic or not.
0: another, another warning sign on the publishing side is in, and, um, Tell me if you've seen this. I'm sure you've had. You have in contracts. It says something to the effect, uh, "We'll pay you upon publication of the book."
1: Yeah, no, yeah. You know that's like repping 101. No one, if anyone doesn't strike that and change it, you know, to third or front third, it sketches and the balance, you know, upon either submission of final or, or, or publication. They don't know what they're doing, mm-hmm. so it's. That that has to go immediately. I, I've seen a lot of different things. Companies have two contracts. One is they'll put out a work for hire contract to people in the hope that they're stupid enough or desperate enough to just sign it. But then when you balk at it, which I do all day long, and I'll say, you know, we uh, strictly follow the code of the graphic artist skill, the ethics of the industry, and unless you're paying. this amount of money that work for hire would not fly. Of course, they get freaked out because it's a huge amount of money. I say, Mm -hmm. and they say, well, we can, we, we do have another contract we could send to you. That's that. I think you'd be okay with. And your first thought is, well, why didn't you send that in the first place? Of course. So the lesson here for anyone listening is they're always going to try to get over on you. It's up to you to protect you. You know, It's it's that guy at 2 o'clock in the bar who's drunk at closing time who wants you to go home with him. And he says, my place or yours. Your answer is going to be both. You go to yours and I'll go to mine. (laughs) So you never, ever want to engage with someone like that that's approaching you or seems unscrupulous about talking to you about how, oh, we only have $500 and we're just going to use it for this. And then the contract comes along and it's a work for hire. They want to be able to use it. And take over authorship of your work as if they created it, and you have no claim to it whatsoever. In perpetuity. Well, you just lose it, yeah, forever. Yeah. It's as if they created it. It's it's life plus seventy five years. It's-
0: full full transparency. I <laughs> uh, over my years in publishing, um, work for hire was a very was the most common contract that um, I would send out to illustrators. There was simply just a, a mandate. It wasn't my decision. You know, right. and I think this goes, this goes for all designers. It's not a lot of this stuff. Isn't them. It's not their decision. It's a corporate mandate. And the corporate right. mandate when I was working was everything's work for hire, everything because it's cheaper and because it's less work for us to have to, you know, keep the books and maintain, make sure that, you know, we don't have to worry about paying royalties out and all that. And we can do whatever the heck we want with it. Moving forward, we can make it into a board book. We can take it and make it an ad. We can, you know, and for those who are like, work for hire, what's that? it's basically, they pay you a fee. You make the art, you give it to them, they own it forever. And it would only work, it only is okay, in my opinion, you can please feel free to disagree. If you, like you were saying, work for hire, they're not just paying you for drawing and painting. They're paying you for the rights. Those rights have value, monetary value.
1: So was, so yeah.
0: yeah, so like the other two sort of um, types of contracts that I'm aware of is the flat fee, which is basically work for hire, but the only difference really is that you, the artist keep um, the copyright for the art. Right, which is somewhat better. and then the final one is the royalty based, where they give you an advance and hoping that the sales of the book Cover the advance at which point you then receive royalties of some kind which rarely happens Many okay. books many books don't even reach it reach that point
1: I have to i'm gonna tell you a very very interesting story right now. Please do Get your binky and and lie down because you're gonna enjoy this so <laughs> When norm norm Bandel was at the, the peak of his height, you know it's somewhere around 1996 97 and we're approached all the time from greeting card companies book companies all these other different companies they just want to offer us one rate uh, no royalty and I, i would turn down people all day long yeah yeah we want to do this like 50 page cute little humorous book on on new york city we love his style and um we have $4,000. Do you think he'd be interested? You think he would say, well, you know, um, what, what's the royalty structure for? How is this going on? Well, there is no royalty. We're just going to pay him the, the $4,000. And I, I'm not even saying that's the amount. I'm just being funny. Here. So, And we'd pass on all these deals. And then one day, I'm sitting in my office. It's about... 1996 or so, 97, I get a call from a woman. Her name is Michelle Watkins. And she's the managing editor for a company that I never heard of called American Girl. And I know nothing about American Girl dolls. I know nothing about Pleasant Roland, the woman who founded it, the famous educator. I know Zippo. She's calling me up and, you know, um, we um the founder of the company was watching TV. She saw an animated TV commercial uh, for, for program flea control, and she said, "Get me that artist that's the artist I want to use for this advice book we have that we're about to do." and she I said, okay, okay, okay. so what what's the deal? Well, you know we have X amount of thousand dollars. It's gonna be about hundred illustrations or so. Hundred illustrations for that amount. Okay, that's that sounds you know okay. But you know I just have to tell you straight out, Michelle, just to cut you really short, is that we don't do any book deals with anybody unless there's a royalty attached to it. And she was quiet for a few seconds. She said, "I think we could, you know, I think we could work something out there." Yeah that that shouldn't be a problem I said okay so let's continue on discussing so just between uh, everyone listening and you we ended up doing the book called "The Care and Keeping of You and we ended up doing three more books for American Girl I eventually found out who they are and what they're all about and we were doing about one hundred to $140,000 a year after about five, the first four or five years it was out in royalties. And we did that for about 10 years in a row. And it was over a million dollars in royalties that we made during that time. We were part of American Girl and working with them. At 3% royalty.
0: Oh my god.
1: Wow. Now I know other reps who sold out their artists to American Girl for a flat $20,000 with no royalty. Me too. And those people have no idea how much money they could have generated because American Girl is very different than a major book publisher or even a small book publisher they're, they're not just doing you know, 5,000, 7,500, 10,000 units for a first book that goes out their first printing was 75,000 units a 9.95 book mm-hmm. and again it's just my instinct my brashness boldness having no idea who I was talking to, how powerful of a woman this woman was in at, you know, the hierarchy of American Girl, and I'm just on the phone cutting her off as if I'm talking to someone with you know, a, a printing press down the block that puts out two books a year and has $2,500 for all. Right. You just won't do it without a royalty. So again, it's just me instinctually saying something doing something mm-hmm. that had i known who she was i might have been fearful or i might have jumped up and down at, or attention and said oh my god american girl is calling me for a book you know but through that experience i i learned i learned a real lot and i i think it's somewhere between 90 and 92 percent books never earn out the the failure rate in the world of publishing is so high it's it's similar to hollywood where we are developing tv shows now so there's a huge failure rate but but i think it's basically like that with, with everything in the world you know somewhere between 10 and 20% of the great people in an industry are making 90% of the money mm-hmm. and then everyone else is looking up with their bowl up in the air you know feed me what about me hey, hey come on i'm i'm good too you know i'm as good as that guy. hey look Right. Yeah. So it's a pecking order and it's a tough grind. It's a really, really tough road. And I, I think the world back then, the 80s, 90s, because you're able to have these giant parties that the Black Book was throwing or American Showcase was throwing or American Illustration and all these other things, uh, it really enabled you to to connect besides going on appointments and you'd be able to sit there and get drunk with this art director or art buyer and and that's how I became friends with some of the top art buyers in in the New York market anyway over the years taking them out to lunches hanging out, drinking, going to parties you show up at the same events all the time and um, there's a huge amount of gain just being able to do that and in terms of what you had mentioned last time, well, I don't really need to see you. I, you know we could just email back and forth. I've made it a life's mission to break down that "no and get to a yes." Mm. Now there's no dialogue, and everyone ends up being shortchanged on communication. And we, we are supposed to be the bastions of communication in our industry. That's our job is to communicate. And we're in a world where no one wants to communicate anymore. It's an
0: oxymoron. Oh, absolutely. That is another, um, pr- not knowing um, how to value your art is one frustration and one concern. Another big one is the communication part, lack of communication. So many illustrators that I talk to through the school are trying to get agents' attention. They're trying to get art directors' attention. You know, they hear people say, like me, and others say, you know, send postcards, send emails, go to parties and they do all that stuff. And they get radio silence, radio silence. I'll tell you one quick story. I talked to an illustrator recently. He met an art director. He did exactly what he's supposed to do. He went to a thing. I won't say what the thing is and met an art director. I won't say who his name is. And, uh, they got to talking. the art director's like, yeah, I like your work. I'll, uh, I'll be in touch in a few weeks. We might, we might work on something together. Just email me and uh, send me your link, and you know, let's, let's let's see if we can do something. He never heard from the art director again.
1: No, I mean that art director is getting two hundred emails a day. They're, they're saying it's coming from an external source. They're all warned where it's coming from, and it's it's really really hard to break through again unless you have someone the experience of someone like me where they see my name and and they'll open it up because they know I'm never going to waste their time and that I know they're getting 200 emails a day and they're going to be loyal to the people who over years and years and years have always taken great care of them and who are professional so it's extremely hard it's like someone being an actor or an actress in your local town, I'm going to Hollywood I'm going to make it, I'm going to be the next you know Uh, Meryl Streep and and Robert De Niro or whoever it is and they're out there and they're great waiters and waitresses and they're really good Uber drivers and you know 15 years have gone by and now they're not so young anymore and the wrinkles are coming and the hair is graying and and all of a sudden they're just sort of they're there and it never happened but why didn't it happen so going back to what I said to you I don't know why it did happen for me. There is no place to go to school to become a rep. There is no one. I talk to other reps. I'll consult with people. I consult with you know different people calling me up all the time. I've got this student I think she's really good. Could you, you know, give her a consultation? Or you know SCAD wants to fly you down. They want you to give a lecture. Or they want you to do a Q&A with 100 students. And I don't know why schools aren't doing that with me every single day of my life. I'm the one that's on the inside. I'm the one getting my face kicked in every day on the battle lines because I know how it, how it all works. And I'll teach you how to, to go from nowhere from zero to hero from chump to champ in three seconds. This is all you have to do, but there's so much more to it, you know? And, and I, and I welcome that, you know, when, when people come to me and they're, very honest you know i just graduated i just spent sixty thousand dollars a year on school quarter million dollars 23 years old i'm out here on my own how how do i I, what do i do and they come out like with a basic preparation i speak with a lot of the teachers that teach illustration courses or run the programs you know great people uh, that i've met along the way and they call me up for that advice what do i tell them what do i you know what should i say what's the answer in today's world mm-hmm. what would you tell someone but it's a privilege to make it as a freelancer and it's a really hard battle and you have to become a black belt in learning how to defend your rights and to know the value of your artwork and to know how to price something the graphic Artist guild pricing and ethical guidelines handbook is a great source for a general beginning for someone. Mm -hmm. If they're totally oblivious, they're out there on their own just to give ranges for different areas. And like I say, the pricing has, if anything, in different areas, it's come down as opposed to gone up. Because people, magazines, publishers, they're they're having a a bit of a tough time as the transition goes from print onto electronic media for everyone getting their information and and seeing their artwork Mm -hmm. but that artwork is no less important to be done in a great way and keep people captivated and excited about landing on a page and to skimp with artwork does a huge disservice to the viewer or the subscriber because they dig it they like it and i see it from being on linkedin I, i see the responses to some of the stuff that I've posted now with my over 11,000 followers. And when I see that over 2,000 people in three weeks have responded to an image, whereas the average response is between 150 and 300, that's my personal marketing tool.
0: Do you still do the postcard thing? I mean, what other, again, just sticking with the sort of then and now, now what do you do now to market or do you even need to market David Goldman Agency?
1: No, no. You always need to market. You got you got to take that that comment and just to, totally hit the control Z on it. There, the, marketing is so it's more vital now, more important on a daily basis than it's ever been before. In the past, you took a page in the Black Book, page American Showcase, wherever you were, workbook, sat around, and things either you know happened for you or didn't. And that those are the games in town, and they got a big premium for what forced the artists and the reps to pay for a page. Uh, the larger rep agencies got huge discounts. small guys like us got got gots. and today's world it's an instagram world it's It's not even so much a Facebook world anymore. I'm not even sure how much it's a Twitter world. maybe it is a little bit but i I think in the end, LinkedIn and Instagram, probably gonna be the only two standing. And I think for not pissing off art directors, creators around the world, LinkedIn is, is the most important place to be okay, for cool. me. And that's what I've been focusing on the last four years. Right. And uh, it's working, it works well.
0: Yep, you're not the first uh, person I've talked to who said the exact same thing about LinkedIn.
1: Okay, and now for the final Jeopardy question. <laughs>
0: uh all right i have two final jeopardy questions one is uh what's the name of your bird we call him cheeky mm-hmm.
1: uh, but it's a birth certificate when we found that we found him on the street we, we called him cheeker it's because he had his ears are these beautiful orange reddish feathers and we had no idea that that's what his ears were we thought it was his cheeks Because we didn't know anything about cockatiels. So we named him, or my daughter named him, Cheeker. He's an incredible creature.
0: I'm glad to uh, have him on the podcast. (laughs) He's in the background. He gets credit. He gets credit. All (laughs) right, so that's the the first uh, question. The second and last question. So uh, I'll pretend to be a listener here, and I'm just going to sort of talk to you and sort of follow up with everything that you've been saying. So Mr. Goldman, thank you for giving me all of this information. I will absolutely look at the uh, pricing guidelines after I listen to this interview, I'm trying to break in, I'm overwhelmed and I don't know which direction I need to go in. What else should I be doing? What tangible steps can I take over the next month, three months, six months, et cetera.
1: First off, I can't answer that unless I know what your your style of illustration is and what you do, because the answer is going to be different based on what someone actually does. My areas of expertise are mainly in conceptual types of projects in advertising, in um, collateral projects, uh, animation projects. Have done. A, whole lot of producing of animation tv shows different areas but until i would you know until i know someone's style it it can be a very different answer for a medical illustrator as opposed to a, a humorous guy that's doing cartoon frames that's going to be sending him into the new yorker you know mm-hmm. every week so the key thing is as far as i'm concerned doing what I did with James Yang back in 1987. Put together your dream list for where you see yourself fitting into the marketplace. What kind of publications are using your your kind of art? What kind of publishers are using your kind of art? Which are the the graphic novel companies? Which are the animation firms you want to try to get with? There's a whole giant cross-section of style. And I'm not an expert on all of them. Uh, And probably what I would tell someone, you just have to wake up each day thinking that there are 10,000 artists that are out there every single day trying to get work. So what you have to do is create a brand and a look for yourself, an identity visually with your stationery with your ads, with your online presence, whatever it is somehow that's captivating so that when people see that alone, like the Peacock for NBC or the Eye for CBS, they know that's you. So it goes down to basic 101 branding, which is a critical thing for someone starting out. And then, of course, you're going to go to local places, and start with the local newspapers, journals, gazettes, uh, wherever to get your foot in the door. So you get some kind of a steady gig, some kind of income, besides being an Uber driver or a bartender or a babysitter or a dog walker or whatever millions of ways, you know, guys end up surviving, even through slow times in our industry. They're really big names that go months without the phone ringing. How do I know? Because they call me up hey, what's going on out there? I mean, it's really crazy. I've never seen it like this. So if I get one more call with someone said, I've never seen it like this, I've never seen it like this means that either you and what you're doing has taken yourself out of the game because you haven't kept up with what needs to be done in marketing and or you just have to just take the hint that the market is just not tuning into what you're doing and you may have to change what you're doing and go in a di- different direction. And if you want to be stubborn and hold out, well, this is my bliss. This is where I live. Okay, so if you enjoy fasting, you know, stick with that style. Stick with what you've been doing and don't make any changes and expect different results, which we all know is the definition of insanity, right? Mm-hmm. But y- young kids coming out of school, <clears throat> they should have taken a business course uh, when they're in there. Uh, they can read and learn a whole whole lot by reading that Graphic artist Guild handbook in terms of how to protect themselves, how to create basic contracts, or the points that need to be brought up in discussions with clients. And then, you know, I'll tell people, and I offer a service personally, I, I work with people on two bases, one is an advisory basis for uh, 15%, where I will work with someone to bid a project so that they could possibly get it because they have no idea how to bid it and how to protect their rights and then i have one where i, I do uh, i actually paper the job and i'm there throughout <clears throat> and afterwards and, and i'll take off one one off projects on that basis for people and that's how i got to meet um, many many people that i've known over the years including carl webster michael morgan stern now in my group tim cook who i uh Help land a, a huge, huge project. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some, some other known names that, that have come to me over the years for advice, Kathy Black. And uh, I've been able to get them record amounts that they never dreamed would be possible for different ad campaigns. Mm-hmm. So it, not to be too self-serving here, but I'm not probably not the only rep that's doing this. But I think because we are in this very unique cat, you know, position uh, on the top of the mast, looking out over the ocean, reps have a unlimited resource source of getting kicked in the face and experiences to share. And if I was your school, or any other college art department, I'd say fly in someone from this rep group, that rep group, get three reps in. Do a Q&A for your for your business class. I mean, we're we're the ones on the front lines doing this. Mm-hmm. It, it's not about reading it in a book. It's not hearing about it from the buyer's end. It's from the people who someday might be representing you, and/or know many of the variables that need to be considered, discussed, and thought about.
0: I know. I know. I said that was the last question, but I actually have one more thing. So I. When I was working at Penguin, I would often say, if I wasn't an art director, um, there were two directions I'd love to go in. Education, which is where I am now, and being an agent. For that reason, you know, you have the experiences, and you then also gain further insight into several different industries. You meet different people. Not every day is the same, and you are Advocating for illustrators, which is something that is deeply important to me How does one even become an agent? How did you know you started you started David Goldman agency? Uh, May of 1980 with a Photographers portfolio and, and and dream How does one start one now should should one start one now? Well,
1: had I known then what I know now I never would have done it <laughs> <laughs> So let, let's just start there. Um, if you're, you know, a silver spoon trust fund baby, or you come from wealth and resources, and you you can do basically whatever you want with your time in life to find, uh, you know, to get to some place or start a group, uh, whether or not you have the knowledge or not, so that you look like you have the knowledge, but you really have pseudo knowledge and not real experience doing something. That's one way that people do it. I, I came in in a have to succeed mode because I had everyone in my life watching me mm-hmm. and I would spend 14, 16 hour days doing it. I, I do believe because of the fact, even though I had a really rough first two or three years and didn't make a whole lot of money you know, to be proud of, I think that it, you have to be a, an extremely driven, self-motivated person who doesn't, take things personally and learns very quickly, picks up very fast. It's, it's like being a, a musician. You, know, you have to have big ears to listen to what's going on around you to know how to function as you're playing in a song with a band or jazz musician. And that's where the magic happens. And that's where it also happens in our industry. When I'm sitting, I'm listening to someone on the phone who approaches me. I will know in two to five minutes exactly how to respond to that person to calm them down and make them feel they couldn't have placed the call to a more perfect person to handle their needs. And, that, and that's about the amount of time you yeah. have with someone. You've got that two to five minutes to size them up, and in that next five to ten minutes, if you're lucky enough to have that time, you're able to get into a deeper conversation and understand more about each other and begin to probe. And once you've got someone believing that you have an intelligence that will benefit them and you're not just out for yourself, you gain their trust, you're beginning a lifelong relationship with a client instead of just haggling and battling over one job. You think long term about where you need to be end up, where you're going, and not go crazy on people. Fifty dollars here, a hundred there, okay, so your page rates a thousand, they have eight hundred. It's your first gig, take the job for eight hundred, don't say boo about it, thank you. Get the credit, build a relationship. And then a lot of really good things happen because people switch jobs. And that guy that you were doing these, you know, pissy cock of $400 spots for three years at some magazine, because that's all he had or she had to give you is now the head, you know, art buyer at either a major sign firm agency, and their budgets, they're paying 3000 a page for collateral material. Right. She's calling you up with, with six illustrations of three grand, the pop because she remembers that and there's a great, amazing designer in our industry who's, I think, of the greatest uh, that ever was and is. Her name is Sujin Bozzelli. Mm-hmm. Uh, married to Chris Bazelli, the illustrator. I know them both. We started out with Lynn Connolly uh, and Sujin buying stock from James for years for a you know, fairly uh, meager sum. and We got to know them, befriend them, and James became friends with Sujin and we ended up doing a whole lot of really decent-paying work for many, many years, and and still do. Even though you know, her publishing company, like many others, has sadly cut back on the amount that they're able to assign and, and the sizes of what they're assigning. So this is a bit endemic in 2019. I'm not looking to turn someone off to becoming a rep, but I will tell you. On a degree of 1 to 10 on the scale, you can expect a 10 with gusts up to 11. It's going to test every part of your sanity and your metal and your belief in yourself, unlike any other job on the planet. Now, if you're being brought up in one of these large agencies as a sub-agency that bring you on board, you're one of the many agents. There's a minor leagues now that does exist. I didn't come up that route could be a great wonderful perfect way to do to do it but again as i said up top this is only about my experiences and the way i did it right. and when i write a tome someday on this whole thing it's going to be stories that hopefully are going to keep people up where they don't want to put down the book
0: we've been talking a whole lot of reality and a whole lot of i wouldn't say doom and gloom but you know This isn't, this hasn't been the rosiest and the most sunshiniest conversation about illustration and getting into illustration and, and all of that. I try to end everything with, on a positive note, um, because there definitely are positives. Um, what would be one last bit of, um, advice that you'd like to share?
1: When I'm asked to consult with people or I'm asked for advice from any people about their career, it's, it's being slow. And, you know, I, I don't know about, I don't know if I could. Know what I should do and where I should go. And I tell people, first off, this isn't the pity party hotline. This is you wanting to become a known illustrator hotline. And the reason you got into the business because there was a time in your life where you would salivate over a white sheet of paper and wanting to create something on that white sheet of paper or it's a computer screen or program, whatever it is you're using, and you have a concept, you have an idea that you want to bring to life. There is no such thing as an illustrator being slow. That's my positive advice to you. There's no such thing as an illustrator being slow. An illustrator being slow is an illustrator that doesn't realize that today, even though you don't have a paying assignment, you've got the ability all day long before your bartending job starts or your uber job to create the greatest piece of artwork that anyone in the world has ever seen. The reason you're an artist and the reason you want people to buy into you is for your heart and your vision. So every single day without anyone being the art director, anyone critiquing you, telling you what to do, you're back in school, 21 years old, you're a senior putting together your portfolio, but now you want to add something to the world's portfolio for when you're long and gone. That one iconic image, Milton Glazers, Bob Dylan with the Medusa colored hair, the Maxell guy sitting in the chair. These are the images of, of the world of our life and of your passion. So, best advice i can give you is to think glass is always full even when work isn't coming in you have anointed yourself on your own volition in your own life because you chose it to want to communicate the world's greatest concepts through your art or to make people laugh through your art you are channeling the universe you have a very special gift never ever lose sight of your very special gift number one and never lose sight of the fact that you've got eyesight hands that work computer that functions and you have time today to create the world's next greatest illustration
0: To learn more about David, visit davidgoldmanagency.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it online, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a positive rating and review. This helps us find new listeners, and on a personal note, it would be nice to know that the podcast is helping. Continue the conversation in the comment section of each episode at illustrationdepartment.com forward slash podcast. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the Alumni Showcase, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.